Today's scripture comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 6, verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate one and love the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Paul. Thank you, choirs, for beautiful music. I'm a little hoarse today. I might drink water from time to time, but it's not my fault. It's the Braves. Uh, Man, that was awesome. A preacher went into his church, and he was praying to God. While he was praying, he asked God, how long is 10 million years to you, O God? And he heard God's voice. God said, one second. The next day, the preacher asked God, God, how much is $10 billion to you? And God, again, the voice of God, he heard it. It said, a penny. And the next day, the preacher asked God again, God, can I have one of your pennies? And God replied, just wait a sec. (laughs) We find ourselves, that's the only bad preacher joke I'm telling today, I promise. We're in the midst of a series called Treasure. And over the course of four weeks, we're going to focus on the stewardship of our resources. This is our stewardship series. I was talking to somebody from the church this week out in the parking lot, and I mentioned that I was preaching. And he said, oh, what are you preaching on? And I said, money. (laughs) And his face changed a little bit. And he said, I don't really like talking about money at church. I mean, I get it, but it's definitely not my favorite thing. And I said, well, it's my first time preaching about money, so wish me luck. (laughs) And you know what he said? He said, good luck. So (laughs) I don't think he's the only one in here, by the way, (laughs) that doesn't really enjoy talking about money in church. I mean, why do you think that is? Why don't, we, why don't we like talking about money in here? Is it because it feels like maybe the church is asking for money all the time from the congregation for its own sake? Is it because it essentially feels like the pastor is asking you to keep him employed? Maybe you already give to the church, and you always have, and you don't need us reminding you again and again and again and again and again. <laughs> maybe for you money is more of a private matter. And the church doesn't need to invade that part of my life. Or maybe there's something deeper. It's funny, the the times I get most uncomfortable in church usually occur because something strikes a nerve. Something perhaps rings a little bit true and I just don't want to talk about it. So whatever the reason, we don't like talking about money in church. And neither do I. (laughs) You know, I've only been married a few months, but I can tell you, I don't know that I enjoy talking about money with Adair. (laughs) I don't know that she enjoys talking about it with me. (laughs) You learn a lot when you're newly married and you're talking about money. I've learned that I'm the spender and she's the saver. Maybe that's why I don't like talking about it. (laughs) We were told in our premarital class that money is one of the biggest fights that we'd ever have. So far, we're just not talking about it, and I think it's going well. (laughs) But you know what's more? I don't like talking about money with my family (laughs) or my friends. Like, as a middle schooler, it was fine. Can I have a couple bucks and go to the movies? That's one thing. But as an adult, I just don't want to talk about it. I just want to tell people we're fine. Let's talk about something else. Maybe some of you are in the same spot. Maybe some of you like talking about it and can. Maybe that's what you do. You just talk about money all the time, and that's fine. But I think more, probably more of us, don't enjoy talking about money, especially in the sanctuary. Truth is, it causes kind of a lot of stress, maybe, or anxiety. 
I mean, I just think about Congress. It feels like every time we have a conversation about the budget, it isn't very nice or kind. <laughs> it's kind of angry. Some might call it passionate. Things are at stake. Money causes emotion. It fuels passion and or rage. But money seems to be of ultimate concern. And sometimes it's just easier not to talk about it. And I find it interesting, Jesus has a way of getting us to talk about those things. I mean, the Gospel of Matthew can honestly carry the subtitle, How to Talk About the Things You Don't Want to Talk About. Now, Matthew is the teaching gospel. It's known as the teaching gospel. Jesus is primarily a teacher. He's a lot of things, I know. But in Matthew, Jesus is a, primarily a teacher. Matthew is trying to get the audience to see that Jesus is the new Moses. And he has come down from the mountain with a new word and a new teaching. And sure enough, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus had just called the disciples and he goes up to a mountain and he comes down with a new word and starts teaching a huge crowd. There are five major speeches in Matthew. And the first one, beginning in Matthew 5, possibly the most famous of all, starts with an S, ends with Ermin on the Mount. Which one, which one is it? Sermon on the Mount. Kind of spoon-fed you that one. Jesus begins in chapter 5 with the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are the grieving. Blessed are the hungry. Blessed are the merciful. But then he moves on kind of the harder teachings. The you've heard it said, but I tell you section. You've heard it said, you shall not murder. But I tell you that if you're angry with somebody, it's the same thing. You've heard it said, don't commit adultery. But I tell you, if you look at somebody else with lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery. You've heard it said, an eye for an eye. But I tell you, if anybody strikes you, turn the other cheek. Do not repay violence with violence. It becomes cyclical. I mean, throughout chapter 5, you can kind of hear the crowd wanting to say, slow down, you don't have to hit all of the hot topics yet, please. <laughs> There's a lot in there. Let's, let's spend some time and unpack it. But this section and the whole of the Sermon on the Mount is really interesting because Jesus is essentially saying, you've heard it said way back in the day with the old law that if you do this or if you don't do that, you are okay. That action matters more than intent but I'm telling you that the heart and the intent matter more than you ever knew. Actually, I think it was always about the heart. And from there, Jesus talks about the dangers of trying to appear religious and good and prayerful. That part always makes me stand up a little straighter. And a few verses after the Lord's Prayer, Jesus tells the crowd, Do not store up for yourselves what? Treasures. On earth, for where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Okay, he's done it. He started preaching about money. I dare let's get out. <laughs> it's getting uncomfortable. But that's not the last thing he says. What does he say a little bit after? It's our passage. Paul read it. No one can serve two masters. For a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. You cannot serve God and wealth. The word used there for wealth is mammonas, mammon. What does that mean? Glad you asked. The New Testament was written in Greek, but that word is not a Greek word. It's a Hebrew word. Mammon is usually translated as wealth or riches or money or possessions. 
So it would seem that Jesus is saying you can't serve God in money. You can't follow God in riches. You cannot hold possessions and the narrow way in the same hand. It's pretty easy to understand. But that's not necessarily what mammon means. In the original language, mammon meant something more akin to this. Listen to this. The treasure a person puts trust in. The treasure a person puts trust in. So maybe Jesus' statement sounds a little bit more like you cannot put your trust in both God and money at the same time. You cannot worship or admire or love or idolize money and love God at the same time. Your heart cannot trust its well-being to two things. You can only have one Lord, one teacher, one master. Paul Tillich was an influential 20th century theologian. He's one of the theologians that in seminary they got us to read or tried to get us to read. Paul Tillich said that everyone is religious because everyone has something of ultimate concern. We all have something we treasure above all else. Some will argue that they treasure many things. Their children, their spouse, their country, their profession, and maybe God as well. This may be true, but by definition, a person can only have one thing of ultimate concern. Whatever this treasure is will define our life and determine our destiny. Perhaps this is why Jesus states to a crowd, you cannot serve two masters. You can't have two lords. Jesus is begging us to ask ourselves, what is your ultimate concern? What occupies your imagination, your daydreaming, What motivates your actions? Jesus is almost warning us, don't give the precious life-defining role of our treasure to anything or anyone unworthy of it. It belongs to God. Perhaps that's one reason why Jesus talks about money. Jesus would rather us put our trust, not in money, but in God and hope and life and redemption, not money, not possessions, not wealth. And maybe... That's one reason I don't like talking about money, especially in church. Because I know that above so much else, money occupies more space in my heart than it should. Money somehow finds its way into the place of ultimate concern, into my place of ultimate concern. And when I think about trust and hope and discernment, when I'm planning my future, when I'm dreaming my dreams, or just planning the next few days, too often my mind floats to money before it seeks the very wisdom of God. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. You cannot serve two masters. Two cannot occupy the place of ultimate concern. God cannot be my guiding principle when my trust and discernment is in my money. Eugene Peterson is one of my favorite theologians. He translated the message translation of the Bible. And he says this, I want you to hear this. Jesus is training our minds and emotions to live in response to the realities inherent in the kingdom of God. To live by faith and love. To live in a world where trust in Jesus is our guiding principle, our principal value. The one who occupies the place of ultimate concern. Man, I forget that. I forget that a lot. When I was in seminary, first year at Candler at Emory, every first year seminary student is required to work in a nonprofit for four hours a week. Not a church, 
a nonprofit. Second year, you can work in a church. First year, you got to work in the community. So I worked in a homeless and transitional housing ministry in Inman Park, Atlanta. And so we would work for four hours every Wednesday, and then we'd get together at the end to have lunch. In 90 minutes, we'd discuss something. Somebody would bring up a topic. And I remember one day in particular, somebody asked, what do I do if somebody comes up to me on the street or on a corner and asks me for money? And the preceding conversation uh, took 30 minutes. Everybody had a different idea. Well, I don't give them any money, one said. Well, I keep cards with me. One guy said, if anybody asks for money, I ask them to join me at Waffle House for a meal. The person next to me said, I give my money to organizations who can check the motives and make sure it goes to the right person. Everybody shared what they thought except for one person. My friend who sat at the end of the table, he didn't say a word the entire time. And near the end, it got kind of quiet. Some people were frustrated. We didn't have an answer. All he said, the guy at the end who hadn't said a word, he said this, I'm really glad God doesn't give us grace like we give our money out to folks who need it. (laughs) I'm really glad it doesn't take God this long to decide to give us grace and abundantly and free. (laughs) Next week is Commitment Sunday. Or over the next, we've got two more weeks of, of this series. That means we're asking everybody... All of you, take a look at your finances, me included, and think about giving a portion of your resources to this church. It takes money to keep the doors open, to keep electricity running, to pay staff, to put on events, to do Bible studies, to participate in missions with many community organizations that we partner with. It takes money. And some of you will do as you have always done. You have given and given and given, and you have trusted us to be good stewards of that gift each time. And for that, I say thank you. From the bottom of my heart, I say thank you. Maybe some of you are new. Maybe you just showed up. Maybe you found us online. Maybe you're not even a Christian. And this all sounds weird, and you don't like talking about money either. (laughs) But somehow you find God in the midst of this community. I'd say if you feel so let, we want to invite you to join us, not just with your presence, but also with your resources. But I understand if you're still checking us out. That's fine. Some of you might give less or might not give at all. Some may see us as not having been good stewards of that gift in the past. Some of you may be angry at the institution, sad at leadership or the denomination, or some of you may have just lost hope. If you're there, please let me say thank you for giving in the past and for sticking with us as long as you have. And let me say, I hear you. I really do. But you know, as long as human institutions are around, I think they'll be around for a while. They will succeed and fail. They will ebb and flow. Institutions will always disappoint God and others. And God will always try and figure out ways to reinvigorate, to re-energize and relaunch. That is what the Wesleyan movement was in the beginning. But let me say this, I care so much less about the existence of an institution than I do about the place that God occupies in your heart. Don't get me wrong, I believe that the church is a means of grace with all my heart. And that without it, communities and individuals would have a harder time knowing and finding the love of God. I believe in the local church. I believe in this local church. This church, after all, was God's idea. (laughs) 
I don't know if you remember that. But the church cannot exist without the individuals who make up that community. And within each person is a heart that desires to find meaning and purpose and goodness and love. And the best model I have for a life well-lived, steeped in purpose and meaning, is that of Jesus Christ. And it's through Jesus that we say that in order to find the goodness and abundance of the kingdom of God, we must begin in the giving away of ourselves, our time, our talents, our skills, our resources. The life of a Christ follower is found in sacrifice because we have been given grace and mercy and we have been asked to share that. The last few weeks at 11 o'clock worship, this worship service, usually I do a handful of things up here. I say a prayer, I read scripture, I say the affirmation. Uh, but lately, I've been going down and sitting with Adair. Adair's back with Sandy today, but I usually go down and sit with Adair now. Because we met during COVID, we've actually never gone to church together. <laughs> so sometimes I go down and sit with Adair. What I love about sitting, Paul, where you're at and where you all are, is I love seeing this stained glass, because I never see it. I always see that one, which is a great one. Both of them are great. Don't, don't hear me say anything different. I love both of them. I love all the stained glass. But I realized something last week. I found it interesting that we, we close each worship service with the singing of what song? Spirit song. And I stood there, and I love facing that for the spirit song. Jesus and the sheep, the lambs. And we face this beautiful piece of art and we sing the following. Oh, let the Son of God enfold you with his spirit and his love. Let him fill your heart and satisfy your soul. Oh, let him have the things that hold you and his spirit like a dove will descend upon your life and make you whole. Jesus, oh Jesus, come and fill your lambs. Jesus, oh Jesus, come and fill your lambs. I stood there last week looking at those lambs, looking at Jesus, listening to those words. That song really is a prayer, right? And it has parts to it. The author of that hymn is asking you to allow for a couple things. One, let God hold you. Two, let God fill you. Three, let God be enough. Let God satisfy you. And lastly, let God have anything and everything that might keep you from him or that might occupy that place of ultimate concern. And when you do those things, the Spirit will descend to you and make you whole. And we always finish with asking Jesus to come and fill his lambs, to fill us up. I think it's kind of hard sometimes for God to fill us up, to occupy our hearts, unless we empty them. Unless we allow him to have those things that hold us, that keep us, those things that hold the place of ultimate concern, those things that we find trust in before God. So in the midst of this stewardship series, in the midst of this annual moment of pledging our resources and our money to this local church, I would ask you to dwell on that, to think about that. In those thoughts and conversations that you share or wonderings and possibilities in your prayer time, ask God to hold you, to fill you, to be enough, to satisfy you. Ask God to have those things that hold you, money or otherwise, anything that holds you. Ask God to have those things that occupy your hearts, that 
occupy that place of ultimate concern. Because I believe in the very prayer of emptying and of giving to God, we are actively making room so that when we ask God to fill us, to fill his lambs, there is space and there is room. That's the meaning of giving. That's the point of sacrificial generosity that we might become less so that Jesus becomes more. I think I heard that somewhere. And in my experience, whatever we give, Jesus has made a habit of taking almost nothing and turning it into almost everything. Let us pray. Gracious God, we love you. And sure, this morning we talked a little bit about money, but if we're honest, God, there are so many things that occupy the space of our hearts that can sometimes crowd you out. So stir within us, God, new hearts. Help us to empty ourselves. Come and fill your lambs. Help us to make room and to make our hearts a home for you. In Jesus' name, amen.